Well, I, uh, I just recently was, uh, as you all know, was, baseball has started. So I was doing what I do. I listen to the sports stuff. And, and as I was listening, um, the question, I was listening to these, these sports analysis and these analysts talking about uh, baseball. Now, I normally don't follow a lot of baseball, but obviously it's the season. So as baseball gets into these sports analysis started asking a question. They said, well, which team is going to make it to the pennant? Which is going to make it? And they started asking, I'm like, wow, the season hasn't even started and you're asking that question. But it was neat to see and how they started to analyze and they started asking this really uh, incredible question. They said, well, the one guy said this, he goes, did you know the teams st- statistically that have made it to a division title or to a pennant, how they got there was simple. They didn't focus on hitting home runs. I thought, that's weird. Yeah, he said, the truth is, those teams that actually won, their primary goal, their, their, the thing their coach kept emphasizing over and over again was this, just get on first base. Hit singles, hit doubles, just get there and we'll win. And I, I was shocked with that. I was shocked with this idea that the, the focus, because I would think, aren't you supposed to just clobber this thing outside of the park? Isn't that how you win? And suddenly, it was like this thought came into my head. No, no, what, what if you're focusing on the wrong thing? Did you know God's ways are not our ways? God does things different than we do. And, and, and I felt like the Lord just asked the question. He said, Norm, what are, you, what are you focusing on? What are the things that you put maybe front and center that I don't? Or, or maybe I emphasize more. He was challenging me to make sure I focus on the right things. The idea for me is planted. Getting on first gets you home. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, this is again what we read of Scripture. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If I, I was going to ask you, a, you were going to ask me, what's the title of this message? What, what would you want to give this as a title? I said this, it's getting on first base. Yes, the pastor's preaching about getting, on, getting to first base. <laughs> Amen. No, but I mean by getting on to first base, I mean by this, witnessing in the home. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Luke 15, 1 to 3. We've got a lot of passages, so we want to continue that. Uh, we're continuing with our Go series. Um, this is the commandment Jesus had given to the church in all the Gospels. At the end, after his, just, just before he is about to ascend, he says to all of us, he says to the church, go and make disciples. Now, I love it because in Acts chapter 1, we see this is the continuation from Luke's gospel. He's telling the story, and what the disciples ask is a question. They say, are you going to deliver your people? Are you now going to set up your rule? Are you now going to do this? And it's because, if you think about it, they're very familiar uh, with 
the Bible. Obviously, in that culture, they grew up reading the Bible. And if they read the Bible, they read it through how God had promised to save his people. In fact, if you understood all through Scripture, God's promise, Isaiah chapter 9, Jeremiah 23, Hosea, Ezekiel, all of the prophets actually talk about how God wants to deliver and save. And if you thought about it, probably their brain is still thinking about probably their, their own history as a nation. Suddenly, as they were in slavery, in bondage to Pharaoh, what happens? God delivers them in a mighty, powerful way. And if you all know the story, what happened with this is God says, let, tell Mo, get Moses to tell them, let my people go. And it's incredible the displays that God does to save his people. Well, think about it. The Jesus, the, the Jesus' disciples are now going, there's somebody better than Moses here. Are you now going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to establish your rule and reign? You see, there's a longing for us to actually have Jesus be the king that he's meant to be. In fact, all creation, it says, is groaning right now. There is a stirring says, this world is not right. Do you feel it? Do you feel like if this is all we got, something, we're, we're really not looking good. There's something inside this that says, and it, it kind of groans with creation saying, Lord, when are you going to come? When are you going to deal with stuff? When are you going to fulfill what you said? Because it's amazing what he says. If you read the end of the Bible, it's incredible saying, I'm going to wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more war, no more death, no more pain. How many of you would love that? No more pain. <laughs> hands thrown up in the air like, hey man, preach it, pastor. <laughs> Lord, are you going to establish your rule and reign? They're longing for this. And Jesus says this. He says, don't worry about when, but let me tell you something about the how. They're focusing on the wrong thing. I want you to focus on the right things. And Ron started to share that two weeks ago. He said, don't try to do this on your own, but wait, seek, and anticipate the Holy Spirit to give you power. He will be your helper. That's the beauty of this. It's this idea that he says, just, I want you to focus on this. You got a helper. And then he says this. This is the next part. He says, then you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, just look what he's saying. Look what he focuses on. He says, this is my paraphrase. Then you will be my witnesses to those I've placed directly with you, to those in your near proximity, and to those far beyond. Let me say it again. You will be my witnesses in your homes and neighborhoods, cities and province, nation and the world, is another way to put it. But I notice the order. Because I started to resonate again, this, this baseball analysis saying, you know who wins, who, who gets the home, you know who wins the penance? They focus on something that maybe we forget. I love that God wants us to be a witness to the entire world. 
But let us not forget the teams that, that don't focus on home runs, they focus on getting on base. Well, what is the first base in sharing the gospel? And suddenly the Lord said, I want you to be a witness in your home and to those close to you. If it doesn't happen at home, how do you expect it to happen anywhere else? And I got really, really impacted. Why start there? I kind of said, why, Lord? Why, why would you want us to there? Well, how many of you know that we're experiencing the lost at home? Did you not know that? I was at a, a recent uh, Billy Graham uh, sort of evangelistic teaching. They were doing stuff about how to reach the lost. And I was so gripped because as they were sharing, this guy came in. His name was Dave Overholt. And Dave started to unpack. And why I like Dave was, first of all, Dave shared a most incredible uh, stat. But that wasn't what it was. That This guy was 55 years old and a youth pastor. I thought, 55 years old, man. I'm like, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. You know, I, I've been in ministry. I, I found out he's been doing youth ministry for about 27 years. And in fact, Dave uh, is in Halifax and his church that he runs, called the Church on the Rock, is one of the largest youth churches in Canada. 600 students, youth, but it's a church. And it operates like a church. And I just was fascinated But this is what Dave Overholt said. He said, seven out of 10 Canadian Christian youth are leaving the church. And my mouth just dropped. David is is this founder of this. He he shared with it because what happened is David decided to also become a a theologian and also he took his, uh, his doctorate. He's Dr. David Overholt. And he took his thesis on studying with youth. He, he wrote books including Reasons to Believe, A Youth Apologetic, Live What You Believe, uh, Soul Searching, The Millennial Generation. But what he did for his thesis is he, he decided for his thesis that he was going to pull, do his own stats, because you can hear stats from wherever. He decided to take some government money and asked if he could get some of this. And what he did is he started to pull youth between the ages of, or those that were in 2010 and 2015 that graduated and ask them a simple question. Well, a couple of simple questions. So this is Canadian stats, very current. As of 2015, we would have this. So this is not something that, oh, those Americans. This is here. Now, just just to get that, that, just think about that. 70% of our kids after high school are no longer in church. Now, he did explain those stats. He said this. Out of that, he said, you got to realize that 70% of that are mainline churches, which means 70% are like Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, whatever, what we would call those mainline churches. And so they grew up in sort of, uh, well, you go to church on Sunday kind of thing. But even with evangelicals, he said, out of that 70%, only 30%. So basically, it's like this. If you try to look at the figures, it would be at the best, at the very, very best, if our kids are going to and experiencing, you still have possibly 50 to 40%. One out of every two, they'll say, I don't know if I'm going to do this church thing. 
That's if you're, if you're doing really good as evangelicals, which we are. Gateway's evangelical. I, I don't know about you, but it starts to grip me when I'm thinking the stats are today out of those four kids, boom, two of them are no longer wanting to be at church after high school. Really? See, when I start thinking about, and I look at it because I see the kids, especially when it's your own son, you're going, oh, whoa. But the interesting thing was, as Dave did these studies and these things, he came up with an interesting stat with this, was that the reasons why they left were the same reasons why some of them stayed. And that was what was thought was interesting. He thought, really? Some of them left because of this, but some of them stayed because of this. And there were identical reasons. And this was the bottom line, the question that a younger generation was asking. In fact, most young adults are asking. Bottom line, does faith work in Jesus work? Does it work? And what an interesting stat, he said 80% of young people who dropped out of church said they didn't plan to do so during high school. Busy, life got crazy and just said, well, got to high school or university and suddenly found out that, well, there's not really a big emphasis that you have to go to a church. In fact, I was talking with uh, Reuben and Anne, who were uh, actually a part of varsity, intervarsity, that they said what's interesting is, in fact, when they get to university, they will be persecuted in some ways of how your faith is. It's not actually looked as smart or educational to be a Christian. And Christina is totally nodding, like, yeah. So even though these statistics are really scary, and we can consider the question for me is the church and asking, saying, we, it is possible that we're even losing our kids. It's great to go, but doesn't the Lord want our kids to come with us? Isn't maybe God saying, I want you to go, but I also want you to be at home, to think about home, love home. And as it's Father's Day, let's look at a parable showing Father's God's heart for the lost in a home. Okay? Let's do this. It's got a, quite a bit of scriptures for this, and that's why I want to blast through it. But here we go. You all know this story, so I'll, I'm going to kind of go fast. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And we drop down. He gave two parables, parables before this. And then he gets to this parable about a home. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I perish with, here with hunger? 
I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still long off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and, and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and the shoes and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received them back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated with him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he, was de- he, was, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's, a, it's such a, a familiar parable. How many of you have heard this parable before? If you've never heard this parable, I would love to share this parable because this parable is the gospel. It was explaining as Jesus was sharing to his audience, if you wanted to know the story of Jesus, the son is telling about a father, but he's actually talking about God the Father. And I love it because it's a good, amazing story, but... This is brought in the context of a home. Two sons and their father, a younger brother and an older brother. I found it really insightful as this is Tim Keller does a book called Prodigal God. If you've ever read a book on this passage, you would love to read. It is amazing. In fact, most of my stuff was inspired by this. And what Tim says this, the parable is called the parable of the prodigal son, but prodigal means doesn't mean wayward. Often we think, oh, this son that suddenly went and lived his own life and he he walked away. That actually isn't... Prodigal means this. It means reckless, spendthrift. To spend until you have nothing left. The story is just as much about a father than about his two sons. The the parable might be called the two lost sons, but as Timothy Keller would say, it's more about a prodigal God, a God who goes recklessly spending. His idea, what he does at home and how he deals with his kids and which are lost. And obviously, as he told this parable, the, the father represents the father in heaven, but those two were about, the, as we read before, the tax collectors and the sinners and Pharisees. The younger brother of the story representing that and the older of the Pharisees and scribes. 
But unpack this. If he says, I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, I want you to be witnesses at home, how do you, how do you find, how do you witness to somebody who's lost at home? How do you deal with that? Well, let's read this through. Let's talk about witnessing to the younger son. Because God's calling us to witness to our families. This is what the son says. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. I love that statement. It's, it's like it encapsulates what's the heart of this little guy or this, this boy. Father, please die so I can have my money. Why, I, uh, you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if my son came to me and said, Dad, could you just die so I could have my money? I'd be like, I brought you in this world. I can take you out right now. How many, how many, and yeah, you all agree. Five, he's like, she's frowning. No, you'd never say that. <laughs> I don't know, but that's the heart of this younger brother and this younger son. And the younger brother represents those who came to listen. Remember, these, are, these were the sinners and the tax collectors. They don't they don't observe the moral laws of the Bible or the rules of the ceremonial purity. They engage in wild living. But they're coming to Jesus to hear him. You see, these ones that, uh, these, this younger brother in, in representation of the sinners and the tax collectors, it's like this. They don't have a problem with Jesus, but they're really not interested in church. Do you know anyone like that? Did you know that we could be like that? I don't mind Jesus, but man, do I have to go to church? Seriously, that guy just talks and talks and talks. That's what my son says. He actually prefers uh, Peter Todd's preaching over mine, but I won't go there. He's so honest. I love him. But this, this is the, what the younger son is asking. He's asking the same question that a lot of our generation, does faith in Jesus work? That's the bottom line. As David Overholt says, the reason why you stop, why they leave, why this son left the church, why they say, I'm not, I, I kind of want to do this, is what difference do you make from any other faith in the world? What is the difference between a good Jew or a good Muslim or a good what? Does faith in Jesus actually work? And I love it in that the this, this story is they are so loved by an amazing dad, but they don't believe they would feel fulfilled in the father's house. That's scary. Surrounded by such incredible, loving father, but saying, I think there's something better out there. And although he's loved by this father, he becomes lost. And the questions that the younger son is asking are these. Dave Overholt did this. He, he broke it down to asking these questions to these young people. And he asked them several things. And I just want to unpack that because this is the question that young people are asking. This is what young adults are going through. The first question they ask is this, does faith make sense in the family? You see, young people need a family that has an alive faith. 
You see, if they saw this at home played out, it was a good chance that they, when they became on their own, they said, I kind of saw something modeled at home. And so these youth that have grown up, they, they need... A, they need to think modeled a prayer and of a devotional walk and a compassion for the poor. They basically said, does this faith thing work at, at my house first? Have I, did I see it worked out and lived out? It, it was these stories that these youth told. They said, you know what made me? And they said, why did you stay? Well, I, I came downstairs one day and I saw something incredible. What? What did you see? A burning bush? A flaming? No. I saw my mom and dad praying for me. And they didn't know I saw them. And I could see with mom's eyes, just tears, because they knew that I was really wrestling. That kind of changed everything for me, they said. The second question, does, does faith make sense in church? When a young person attends a church, they'll ask, is there an excitement about faith here? Are there changed lives around me? Is this real? Does it actually do something that they say it's doing? They love it when they hear a story about somebody whose life got changed by Jesus. You know, when you're sitting at church, sometimes you go, should I tell that story? Like, it seems really dumb. Should I tell, should I tell that story about how God blessed me? Yes, because it goes, it seems really real for this lady. It seems really real. Is, is this faith at church? And I'll get going. Like sometimes I go, that's why I love when, when we're praising and worshiping. And you'll, I, I sometimes don't care what any of you think because I'm going to enter Jesus. And then I'm going to enter and be in the presence of God because my kids might be watching. And then you know what? It's neat because as I'm not focusing on them anymore, I am being a blessing to them. Does faith work for me personally? This is the other question. You know, I love about it. Don't ex- when Ben was saying, I, I want to go to a camp. I want to go and minister some kids in camp. Do you know why? Because at that camp experience, they meet Jesus. I mean, I love youth group and I love that because it's those moments when they actually went and I said, I, I, I heard God. The stories were this. The ones that when they asked them personally, they said, how do you know that God's real? And they said, well, it was interesting. The ones that said, I prayed, nothing happened versus the ones that said, I prayed and something happened. The ones that said, I prayed, nothing happened actually were never, never believed that they go that way, that that was the first thing. But the ones that said it was really crazy, they, the tap on the shoulder, they said it was really weird. My pastor was talking about hearing God, about listening, and he, and he does these weird things. He talks about, hey, well, I was going down the street, and suddenly I had this feeling of a tap on my shoulder to go talk to this person. So I thought, okay, this, is this really real? I'm kind of freaked out. And then they did it, and then they shared, and they're like, it worked! It was amazing, that was God! And they're like, that's so real! Is their faith personal? And the last one is this. Does the Bible make sense? Young people are asking incredible questions. And the questions are tough like this. They're asking, can you help me understand the reason? I I know, okay, I'm 16 years old. 
Uh, the average right now is that I'm not going to get married till I'm 30, which for a teenager is eternity. I want you to know that, right? Like, they, my dad, they look at me and they just say, Dad, you're now extremely old. Like, 40, 44 is like, you are now gaining speed. It's just going downhill from everything. For them, 30 years old, to not be married by your 30 is an eternity. And then they go this, by the way, you're talking to us and you say, by the way, stay away from sex. How? Why does, how do I do that? What, what are you talking about? What, what? That, the Bible does not make any sense. And if they hear, don't do it. Just don't do it. What? <laughs> Rubbish. That's, that's what it is, a bunch of do's and don'ts. What is, how does that get real when I'm dealing with lust, when I'm dealing with everything that wants to, to rob, steal, kill, and destroy my purity? How does it become real? And I'm telling you, I, I love it when parents get really real. How did you stay pure? I didn't. I, I messed up. But I got Jesus. So you mean I can mess up? Oh, yeah, you can mess up. But I would say, oh, don't let it be robbed. Don't be robbed. You know what? Yes, the young, this young brother has pride and independence. He thinks he can live on his own. And, and without having to submit to a family, he thinks he, he deserves the father's money. And, and even his, his timing is a little bit off. Give me my inheritance now. Like he, He's got some problems. But the truth is he's looking for love in all the wrong places. And there's something that's inside that he can't shake. It's better in my father's house. When he came to his senses, he saw the father's love. Bottom line, he believes he doesn't deserve to be in a family, but he does understand that he'll always be welcomed home. You want to witness to a lost son? Home. We want you home. Just want you home. The reason why we, I get a little emotional because Nikki's sister who passed away five years ago, it was our anniversary just two days ago, just before Father's Day. So Father's Day is a little bit mixed. Her sister had taken her life, committed suicide because she never, she grew up church, understood, but she never actually experienced father's love. She went like a younger brother. She tried everything to fill that hole. I think there's lots of young people that are still trying. I think there's lots of us that are still trying to fill holes. Doesn't, doesn't satisfy gentlemen in sports. Doesn't satisfy in whatever alcohol. Doesn't satisfy in drugs. Doesn't satisfy even in relationships. Yes, I do love marriage, but I also know that it's not completely heaven. <laughs> you never caught that. Good, good. Over your head. He doesn't believe that he's welcomed home. How does the younger brother return to his senses? It's not until he becomes of need and humility is the key. And so we pray, Lord, just reveal to them, reveal to them that you love them and that they need you. The other one is this, the witnessing to the, of the older son. We're called to be a witness in our families. And this is interesting. The older son is this, but he was angry and he refused to go in. 
His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I, I found it interesting in this story because we focus on this younger brother, but the truth is there was an older brother in this story and he, although he's never left the house, he is just as lost. You see, the older son represents the Pharisees, the morally good, but not responding to the father's invitation. You could have a kid who goes to church and never experience the father's love. That's what this story is saying. You could go religiously every Sunday and have, I'm a very, very good person, but be lost. Because what happens is this, the older son is like the Pharisees. He's morally good, but he doesn't, give, he doesn't receive this invitation. Come, let us celebrate. Because what he did is he, he says something. He finds his identity in what he does. This is how I get my approval. I, I serve you. I've never disobeyed you. Uh, and you've never given me a party. The older son is lost because he's comparison. He says, I deserve. The older son's identity is wrapped up in working for the father. I deserve and I earn this. Father, I've never left you. But in that, he becomes lost. He becomes, and, and how I know he's lost? Because it says right in the scripture, he became angry. When life doesn't go what he wanted, and his, his response is anger and bitterness. I'm doing what you want, and look what, that's not fair. Ever have that conversation with God? He's just as lost as the, old, as the younger brother. The older brother believes that the father ought to bless him because of his hard work and because he's a good person. Now, I'm going to share a story of a, of a lady who best represents this. Her name is Mandy Harvey. Mandy Harvey um, is an amazing lady. She's 29 years old. And I'm just going to give you her testimony. She grew up loving music, absolutely loved music. She started loving music in church choir. She was singing when she was at the age of four. Absolutely loved music. And she didn't want to be at the center of attention, but she liked singing in group, and so she loved choir. She sang in many choirs. She loved singing her part. Didn't like the spotlight, but... In fact, this passion grew all through her life that when she was about... She was going to college to teach jazz at a college level. She saw a director who conducted a full orchestra, and she said, I want to be like that and lead an orchestra. And as she was at college, when she was just starting, it was like uh, the first semester, so she was doing this, all of a sudden, her hearing started to deteriorate. And being at school for about a month, she started to realize she couldn't even hear her teacher. It was like, what? what? Until she was actually finally right up in front of him, in front of them. <laughs> And she went to the doctor and hearing had, fi- had dropped 30 decimals. By Christmas, so in a span of three or four months, it dropped between 50 and 60 decimals. 50 and 60 decimals is normal room. She, can't, she is now legally deaf. <clears throat> and so she was fitted for hearing aids. But, and she thought, well, this will be my salvation. I've got hearing aids. But if any of you have hearing aids, it actually does the exact opposite. Suddenly, you ha- it heightens things you don't need to hear. And imagine a person who loves worship and loves music, and this thing is going squeak in your ear and blah, and she's... 
And it, it, that still didn't hit her because, you know, she grew up, hey, God heals you. God does these things. She was getting prayed for. It, it, it was when she got to her theory exam and she was, the, 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 the teacher was playing at the front and she suddenly realized people were writing and she had, couldn't hear anything. And the realization, my hearing's probably not going to come back. All her dreams are coming to an end. She felt, she fell down. She actually felt, she said she fell into a very dark well. She, re, she remained there for a time. She couldn't breathe. She, she didn't have any worth. She had lost all that she has. It was, it was all wrapped up in her music. And she couldn't even look in the mirror, she said. And the funny thing is she was a pastor's daughter. But when this happened, she became angry at God. Everyone says, don't worry, God loves you. But she was angry. She cried, cursed, and stopped talking to God. Why would you allow this thing to happen to me? But she never doubted there was a God, but she was extremely angry. But this is the interesting thing. She started to talk to her dad about God because she didn't know what to think about God other than a bully with a stick laughing at her. The moment it hurt so much was when she was talking with her dad and her dad was trying to do the pastor thing and say, you know, God works everything for good for those who love you. And then she said to her dad in the most real, authentic, life-hurting, she said, Dad, I'm forgetting what you even sound like. And she cried. I think that when I look at the older brother, that what happens when pain happens? What happens when you're dealing with stuff? What happens when you really just say, God, I don't like what you're doing? Ever happened to those in church? How do you witness to that? Well, stepping back into grace. Though the older son stayed at home, he's actually more distant and alienated from the father. He's in the house, but it's become a religion more than an actual relationship. Like the church, invitation of the church in Ephesus, he, their person is neither hot nor cold. They're just kind of lukewarm. And maybe you're saying this, well, I don't have any kids. This is not my problem. What, what did God say to Cain when he said, what about Abel? Where's Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer? You are. I'm just as responsible for Elijah, though he's not my, mine. I'm just as responsible for these girls, these kids, though they're not mine. Because that's what Jesus says. That little one that Enum's just tapping. We're responsible. Good thing I don't have to change the diaper. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, how do you witness to this at home? Well, I want to close with this last thought. There's a prodigal father, and he's the one that shows us how. But while they were still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father said to his servants, quickly, best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. He likes to celebrate. For my son was dead and yet is alive. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. This is your, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is, and is found. I love this story because what I think is this. We see, although the father is perfect, his sons became lost. So please, if you have kids that suddenly are, 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 are becoming lost, please don't feel any condemnation. If a perfect father can lose his kids, so can we. It's not a reflection of the father, the choice of the children. Not when you have a world saying it's better out there. Not when you have something inside you saying you don't need, oh, just, just make, it a, make it a religion. So please, if, you've, if you have a lost one, the father never sees this as a reflection of his heart. Maybe you have a lost one and you, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So don't feel condemned if your kids struggle and feel lost. What makes this story incredible is the father just operates in grace. He simply waits and gives instruction. He loves his son and he gives the freedom of them to choose. And he always says, let's just celebrate. You see, Jesus doesn't divide the world into moral good guys and immoral bad guys. Let's not think like that. Jesus is not religion or irreligion or morality or immorality. He's not about moralism or relativism or conservatism or liberalism or any other ism you could think of. I had to just write that down because I'd never get that on my own. But the, my, the Father's mindset is he loves unconditionally. Teach us, Lord, how to love like that. Even when both sons are wrong, the father cares for them and invites them both back into his love feast. That's the story of this. That's the story of Jesus. That's the gospel. Unlike the older brother's story, Jesus, whom the father loves, Jesus will go through tremendous suffering for a younger brother. I love not because I, he, that he, I love him, but because he first loved me. There is an absolute incredible call for us to be a witness in our families. I'm going to start off with Mandy, and I'm going to finish this. You see, Mandy moved back home, and she returned home. Mandy decided that she would take a year off from singing, but her father gave her a suggestion to play guitar. He did it with her when she was a child, and so she tried it. She continued to play the guitar with her father. It was at that moment... Being with her father one day while searching the internet, Mandy and her father discovered a song titled Come Home by One Republic. And Mandy's father suggested that she learn the lyrics so they could make a, a home recording. Mandy was like, I can't hear. This is ridiculous. But for you, Dad, I'll do it. And so she played. And when she started playing and singing, her dad just burst into tears. And... Because it was so good. In fact, she didn't even believe him. So she, they did again. She recorded and she sent it to a voice coach, somebody who would be honest. And again, they thought she had done this before she lost her hearing. It was where that she then suddenly to re- realized that God is not doing things in malice. Instead, she started to see God not as a bully, but as a father through her father. What was God's response through all this? Watching his child break and was breaking his heart. And she suddenly started to see Father even in the midst of this. A father who holds her hand and never lets go 
He would walk with her and never let go. Mandy says this, God isn't the author of our pain, but the one trying to help you through it. He'll li- we live in a broken world. People see that as, go- as God's doing, but God watches and actually wants to make things right. Ultimately, he sent Jesus to make things right because this life is not the ending. Jesus would do everything to make it right. And so I, Mandy's father was there, and this is what she did. He just started encouraging encouraging her. And this is, I'm going to show this video because in 2017 at America's Got Talent, Mandy stood up. Hello. Hi, how are you? And what's your name? Uh, Mandy Harvey. And who's this? My interpreter. What's your name? Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Doing well, thank you. Hello. Okay, Mandy, so I think I've worked this out. So you're deaf? Yes, I, I lost all my hearing when I was 18 years old. Wow. And how old are you now? Uh, 29. So it's 10 years. Wow. And Mandy, how did you lose your hearing, if you don't mind me asking? I have a connective tissue disorder. So basically, I got sick and my nerves deteriorated. So... You were singing before you lost your hearing? Yeah, I've been singing since I was four. So I I left music after I lost my hearing and then uh, figured out how to get back into singing with muscle memory, using visual tuners and trusting my pitch. So your shoes are off because you're feeling the vibration. Is that how you're following the music? Yeah, I'm feeling the tempo, the the beat uh, through the floor. And Mandy, what are you going to sing? I'm going to sing a song that I wrote called Try. Okay, can you tell me what it's about? After I lost my hearing, I gave up. But I want to do more with my life than just give up. So. Good Good for you. Okay, well, look, this is your moment, and good luck.
Anthony, I don't think you're going to need a translator for this. Because there was something about, did you see dad in the back? Do you see how father the whole time was showing a heavenly father who loves unconditionally and says, I've never given up on you. It's always, home is always welcome. That's the thing that these, that our, our youth and our kids world is actually looking for. And this morning, I, I want to close on that because, again, I've been really long, but I appreciate Maybe you're lost today. I want to commission you, yet your graduates. He's so good. Don't lose him. Don't lose him. And you taste and see that he's good. And so parents, I also commission you. Please pray. The one thing I want to do, you'll notice there's a, something we put in your bulletin, and I want to close with this thought. How do you get to first base? How do, you, how do you think? Well, one of the things you can pray, what I want to do for the summer is this is an encouragement for you, going home and saying, how, what would you like to pray for the lost? Because you know what I think that the father did that was really good in that story is he just probably prayed. He waited. He waited for whatever that was the, the journey that they had to go through. You want to give these prayer cards to you. Take them home. Put it in your Bible. Because this year, how many would like to grow in prayer? If there was one thing that we could do well to hit a home run, we'd see the loss. But I don't want to get there. I want to get here by first starting out by praying for them. I want us to start praying for each one of our youth that are going to be going into this year, that they would hear God, that encourage God. I want to pray that our young adults, I want to pray. And I want you to pray with me. Amen? So please take that. We're going to be doing this over summer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the grace of this church because, Lord, I know I preached pretty long, but I was feeling something that I had to get through. So, Lord, as we're going to celebrate Father's Day, bless them. Lord, I ask that you would keep this, or keep our kids. I lift up our kids to you. I lift up home. I lift up that, Lord, as you call us to go, that you'd help our kids to go with you, to go with us. Lord, I ask that even today, that, Lord, if we have lost ones, if we have, Lord, those that are, Lord, maybe a younger or older brother, Lord, I lift them to you right now in Jesus' name. I want to ask them to come home. I want to ask that you would help us to be prepared to celebrate. Help us, Lord, to have a heart like that. And this morning, if you are lost, if you are one of those older brothers, if you're maybe a younger brother, it's really simple. We can pray for you at the end of the service to take away anger. God has a plan for you like he did with Mandy. Mandy is doing an amazing job, incredible job. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you.